So welcome to the Pseudobook Podcast. This is episode six, and I'm one of your hosts, Michael Edwards. And this is his brother, Justin Edwards. As usual, uh, brothers in crime. Um, today we have a really cool guest on the show. It's uh, Jesse Manley. You want to say hello? Hello, everyone, and um, <laughs> thanks uh, for you guys for having me on the show. Excited to be here. Yeah, Jesse is a, uh, a staple of the Denver indie music scene, so we're really excited to uh, talk to him about his uh, unique brand of folk but more music, and uh, there's lots of cool stuff Jesse's up to with uh, collaborating with different kinds of artists and uh, sort of some thoughts uh, hopefully we'll get out of him about some new ideas. So, Yeah, yeah, we had a chance to kind of pre-brief, uh, yeah, yeah. grab a couple of beers. And we kinda, screened him. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I passed the test, right? Exactly. Um, yeah, so um, reading your Facebook description of your music, which is always sort of the okay. um, the interesting thing. Um, Not sure how old that is. Yeah, it might be old. Yeah. So this is your chance to contradict or okay, update or right. disagree or um, whatever. Um, um, from your Facebook page, Jesse Manley's music is unique. The inspiration for Jesse's sound originates from a duality that seeks to blend old and new. While Jesse's sound is rooted in traditional folk music and verse, his music is a unique artistic voice. is often described as a recreation of a time-honored sound. So. Yeah, I think that does nail it. That has not changed, and that's kind of, I think, the core of what um, I try to do, and I think what a lot of artists do. A lot of artists, I mean... We're all kind of thieves a little bit. We all steal from the past, and um, you know. But I think what's important to me is to make sure that um, I'm always creating something that's unique. You know, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't ever want to um, recreate something that's already been done, and you know that uh, that seems boring to me. And um, uh, you know, I think the core of what I've always wanted to to be is an artist, you know, beyond any other, um, aspirations. Mm-hmm. So how long have you been playing music? Is this a lifelong thing? Uh, yeah, I started, I think when I was, uh, in high school, towards the end of high school. And then I went to college and I totally put music away completely. And, um, hmm. uh, I, uh, grew up mostly in Oklahoma and went to college at the University of Oklahoma. And then um, I moved out here and I had, uh, you know, after college, I mean, I was like, whoa, okay, so you work, right? And then mm-hmm. you come home and then like, what do you, what do you do? So I was like, okay, <laughs> and I'll pick up the guitar. And so I picked, up, picked, picked it up, someone bought me an acoustic guitar. And um, so I kind of just stumbled back upon it and the passion I had for it and started for the first time writing music. Very cool. Yeah. So what did you uh, originally study at school then since it wasn't music? Yeah, it was it was environmental science. So <laughs> there's right. nothing that has anything to do with music. So Are you still doing anything in environmental science? I or? am. Yeah, that's that's kind of oh. my my day job and what pays a lot of the bills so we got a leg up on me i'm not using my my college degree yeah. in the least but well, I, <laughs> yeah, i'm gonna try find a way to mention that every episode <laughs> <laughs> you're using one of them anyway oh yeah i'm using the masters um well that's cool um i mean i think a lot of artists have to struggle with that and like not necessarily it's always a struggle but um you kind of have the the thing that pays the bills and the music and is is that something you wish was one and the same? Do you wish the music paid the bills, or are you comfortable having something else to invest in while you do the music? Uh, that's a great question, because I think, like, where I'm at now, I would I would want to, like, be a full-time artist, you know, and just have that pay the bills. But, you know, the realities of that, I think, are different than what... Um, people perceive and even artists perceive that are not in that position. Hmm. Um, so like dealing with uh, uh, record companies, right? And mm-hmm. some, you know, compromises you may have to make artistically or just challenges you might face when um, there are 
different um, people have different expectations of you and you have different responsibilities whereas like I'm a completely uh, self-sufficient financially you know independent artist and so you know anything I want to do I can do I don't have to answer to anybody which is which is great. Yeah, it's it's hard to put a price on that, and yeah, it's yeah, been, it gives you a certain freedom. Yeah, and it's been that. a good uh, learning process too. I think. Yeah, I think I, I find myself in a similar place too with, with music. Is it's really really nice to have a steady salaried job that you know it's a nice workplace. I have nights and weekends consistently available, and it's not it's not crazy service industry and. Um, yeah, there's there's some something to be said for that combo, at least for a certain stage of a career. Yeah, um, of having that. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know about how other folks feel, but I know most folks um, that you know. Most I think most artists and musicians, you know, want want to be successful, and that's important. Um, but I guess the further along I get, the more that kind of isn't as important to me. And, um, you know, it, it would just be nice to be self-sustaining, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and beyond that, uh, you know, that's probably what's the most important. So what does that, like, what would the ideal sustaining career look like? Or maybe the, maybe you don't have, there isn't one ideal, but like, what would one be like? I got to do this and this supported this. Right. Well, um, I think it's more kind of, uh, just, um, the way in which I would work and who I'd work with and, um, not, not as much kind of milestone things to check off. Like I did this, but, um, more, you know, developing kind of a sustainable approach to making, music and um making art um is kind of my goal and probably some of what we'll talk about in a little bit is the collaborations Mm -hmm. that um i've done and that's a big part of it i think and that's actually uh, i think a really good way to um you know have your art or have your music be a sustainable process because um, if you're an up-and-coming band playing, like, bar gigs all the time, you know, you're not bringing home a lot of money unless you're doing, unless you're really popular, so, um, there, there has to be other ways to make money, you know, mm-hmm. um, and so that's kind of what I, what I'm exploring, and what I'd like to achieve. Yeah. So you mentioned collaborations, that's one of the most notable things I think that we could talk about tonight is, uh, there was this really rad collaboration you worked on this past year, longer than a year, or um, yeah. with a Wonderbound. It was a, a gothic folktale, right? And uh, so, tell us a little bit. How did that come about? Did you already like? How did you? How did this project happen? Well, I had um, I had met Garrett through my wife, who worked. They worked together in the past, and um, he's the, Garrett's the artistic director of Wonderbound. And um, uh, we had worked together uh, uh, on a short ballet previously with some of my music um, in the, in 2011, I think. And, Was that the uh, Vagabond Hill? Yeah, yeah. so I, I made an album, and he basically just took, I think, six of the songs and um, choreographed uh, to that. And um, uh, so I think uh, we worked well together, and, and he had an idea for a project, and he... Um, he really wanted to do something that incorporated the concept of magical realism. Uh, it's like you guys might be familiar. Um, it's a, I think, a literary concept, and it's also used in film. I think mm-hmm. a little bit, but yeah. And I think he wanted to try and incorporate that into dance, and um, so he uh, approached me, and uh, my music is uh, kind of. Uh, it, it, you know, I think in the past it's been pretty kind of dark folk music, not super dark, but minor chords a lot mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. And so that was kind of a good fit, I think, for what he envisioned. And um, he also brought in a uh, an illusionist 
Uh, his name huh. is Professor Felix. No, I love that his last name is spelled with a PH. So, <laughs> is that his actual last name or is that his stage name? Probably his stage name. <laughs> stage name, yeah. Yeah, yeah like it's spelled as He's got a great. I, I looked up his website before we uh, we did this tonight, and uh, he's got like a great like early 2000s website with lots of animations and like the quick time <laughs> players required and yeah yeah it's like it's like an old uh infomercial or yeah, yeah 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 it's got a lot of charm to it yeah um so no this is a, a totally cool collaboration and uh for just for the listener who may not be familiar with uh wonderbound they used to be called ballet nouveau is that mm-hmm. um they're very much in the modern ballet genre so lots of collaboration and mixed media and um, I caught their most recent uh, performance with Ian Cook. I forget the the names escaped me and what that one was called, but yeah, I think it's Gone West. But just lots of interesting combinations of visuals and poetry, and uh, um, it's very fascinating stuff. It's not it's not your traditional ballet. Yeah, yeah. So they're uh, yeah very much like contemporary ballet, and I think a big part of what. Uh, they do, and what uh, Garrett, the artistic director, likes to do is uh, collaboration. And um, he collaborates across many artistic styles, which is really cool. Like you mentioned, he's um, collaborated with uh, poets and um, visual artists and musicians. And, and I guess uh, a key element to each of their performances is live music. Mm-hmm. So that happens in every one. Um, so. Yeah, yeah, it was like it was really awesome. Uh, this this project was different than the first one that we did uh, because uh, we were collaborating and working together as we were developing it, as opposed to him just taking music that I had already written and mm-hmm. choreographing to it. And so, you know, I was more kind of involved with uh, development of the concept and uh, and what we were seeing and all that kind of stuff. So it was fun. Yeah, and you just uh, you also captured did a studio recording of the music, and that oh, yeah. was a recent release, wasn't it? Yeah, so we uh, recorded a live album from the last performance, and um, uh, it turned out really well, and um, we were able to perform in a really beautiful space down uh, in Parker, down south of Denver, and. Um, they uh, had a lot of money, which was awesome. So they like it's this really uh-huh. gorgeous space and beautiful microphones that we were able to use, and so um, it like just good isolations for the live. Or... Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, I mean, the the room sounded great. Um, yeah, everyone's uh, individual parts came through, so it was great. So, what were all the the pieces of this live band? Was there? So yeah, it was a uh, um, counting myself. It was a six piece. And um, I so the the concept was uh, the the show was called a Gothic folktale, and um, uh, I, like we had talked about, the concept was um, kind of tying in this magical realism or otherworldly kind of concept into a show, and so um, the audience uh, member could be kind of transported. You know, they were kind of in reality, but they're kind mm-hmm. of not in reality. So you kind of blur the line between. Um, their experience and uh, that was part of the goal and so that's uh, I think where Felix came in as a big part of that but um, the band was uh, six piece um, so I played uh, a five string banjo acoustic guitar and a tenor banjo and then we had um, uh, a violin player a clarinet bass clarinet player um, drummer upright bass and then we tracked down a really cool old instrument that is not used very much today. It's a, a pump organ, and um, hmm. uh, we used a pump organ and piano as well. So, well, just hearing that sounds like perfect for a live live sound. Just a nice yeah, nice and I collection. I stole a lot of stuff from Tom Waits. I'm just gonna go come out and say it. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. Um, I, I think, and Tom Waits is a good example too. One thing I appreciated just in listening to some of your music and also seeing what we could from the the folk tale um, is that it's very you're telling a story. It's storytelling. It's more than just you know like you know here's a dance or here's our song we threw together. But you're like you're making an experience for an audience, and it's that's also I think a collaborative aspect too because you know that 
you know, you're engaging another level of rather than just, you know, it's not going out just on CD. You're also having a visual experience with it too. And I really appreciate that kind of aspect too. And I can, I would gravitate toward anything that has kind of more of a storytelling element, you know, that's why I don't like pop music at all. It's just like, well, they're just doing it for the bubble gum and the single sales, but I like getting into it and like the depth of emotion and story involved. And I think your music reflects that too. And I think it's great. Excellent. Well, thanks. Yeah, the um, uh, the collaboration was great for me um, on a number of levels. There was a, a collaboration with the ballet company and Garrett and Felix in the ve- development of the show, and then you know the the collaboration that you have as a songwriter with your band. And this was a um, I'd worked with probably half of the people in the band before and the rest were new and so that's always an interesting experience seeing how um, a group of musicians work together and whether they work well or um, and this group worked really well together and it it was easy and and fun and it's not always that case (laughs) 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 yeah uh, I do want to call out that uh, mutual friend of ours Meredith Strathmire Warbeck, uh, since she married Sam, um, mutual friend, also one of the dancers in uh, Wonderbound. So it's okay. always fun to have even more connections with the yeah the community. And Sam um, had played with you in the past and plays in Genetic Engines. So. Yeah, and Sam played with me um, on the first Wonderbound show that we did. Um, and the dancers and Meredith, all the dancers are amazing and um um, my wife used to dance professionally and so um they're incredible and um i think understanding like their art form and how difficult it is is something i've really been educated about um over the last few years Um, but i did want to say like um uh the right we were talking about the writing process and like um we we're talking about, uh, um, you know, writing a story, right? And um, mm-hmm. uh, this, you know, when I had made albums in the past, I had just written songs individually, and there was no theme or thread to them, and there was no kind of, not as much forethought into what each song was going to represent or be. And um, I found it to be really uh, a lot easier if you have a concept in you know mind ahead that you um, are shooting for and can can write to as opposed to you know um, just having this huge broad this range infinite of possibilities right it can be like uh, strangulating and uh, paralyzing <laughs> you know if you if you have too many options but to have kind of at least an idea of what the concept is and um, what to write to I found really helpful. Um, so taking this experience with Wonderbound, do you see yourself sort of trying to continue to find these kinds of interesting collaborations, whether it's with Wonderbound some point in the future or just other visual artists? Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, I think uh, collaboration I would like to do a lot of. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, would, I think um, it. you guys might be able to speak to this better than me, but... Um, just uh, I could see like a similar type collaboration with film if you have a concept in mind and you're writing music to that and for that um, uh, but yeah I, that's kind of something I'd like to explore um, and uh, yeah just to continue to work with other other local folks would be great or or not local folks <laughs> or not local with the power of the <laughs> internet yes yeah what, what do you guys uh, what's your take on film and music and, and how that all the, the interplay and how that works yeah, Justin you want to jump in on this one? <laughs> definitely um, I mean it's such a big part of it like I I can't stand my film until there's music in it whenever I do anything because um, to me that's what you know it's depending you know using it smartly and you know you could use it on the nose as as a point, but I think you're helping an audience know how to feel or what to feel 
Um, and, you know, I think even better put is you give them permission to feel a certain way um, compared to what they're seeing in front of them. And so to me, the music is what, you know, it's kind of, it lets you know that like, hey, I shot this thing, I got the actors do this and that, and I did it, cut it together in such a certain way, but I also like want to make sure that you know how you're supposed to react to that. And I think the music is what, it's a big clue, I think, you know, and it, it seems like a no-brainer, but it's it's also very very important to to think about that very you know seriously and and, and not you know I don't want to go too on the nose with my stuff. This last film we did with Mike was it was a comedy, so we like enjoyed very going like very big and funny on purpose. Right. Um, but generally, my approach would be you know to to enjoy the subtlety of you know cues. And, you know, just, like, little nudges here and there, like, hey, you can come in this way now with your... Because you're really leading the audience on a journey with their emotions, and you want to have yeah. those ups and downs. And But you um, don't want them to, to particularly notice that or, or to have right. any Yeah, I don't want to take right? them out of the experience. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one one of the worst experiences I ever have is watching network television and these one-hour dramas. They always put, like a three-minute sequence towards the end where they just play an entire pop song because they have some tie-in with it. While they montage the emotional... While they montage (laughs) the emotions and they, like, they turn it down so far and then let the actors speak and then they turn it back up and it's just like, where was, like, this really thought about? All you're doing is, like, hitting play on a song and then letting the scenes play and it's, like, so forced and painful. It's cheap and easy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Like, I never want to do that and, like, and I'm glad that I have Michael as a collaborator for for film as well. Too, so I know that we won't do that. But, yeah, um, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think. There's on the tip of my tongue. There was some film that, like, was otherwise a decent film, but the music was just so out there, so over the top, like trying to make you feel something that it just like bothered me but yeah not a great story when i can't think of which movie it was but is <laughs> that now nah, you just i just saw one too it was maybe a month ago that the whole time my wife and i were like what's the deal with the music it's like crazy too much and like oh uh, it was jobs with ashton kutcher did you watch oh, that that was one that might have been it because we did watch that about a month ago so i don't know if you've seen it's, it's the like biopic the indie one before the big budget one happens about steve jobs okay but ashton kutcher and it's like it's not yeah. a great movie but the music is like so weirdly flourishing in these yeah. different scenes and you're just like what that's so interesting it's like someone's playing yeah. the movie off of the Oscar stage like, <laughs> that's how like jarring it is yeah, wait weren't we in the scene here no forget about it yeah. wow so yeah that's that's interesting that that music can actually ruin uh, a piece too you know it's like that important it's all, it's it also yeah. plays as you know kind of a giveaway like as an editor myself like i know that like if a scene doesn't work like well you can just put some music on like you know it's not at least it's not horrible it's like a band-aid yeah it's just like and then you kind of start recognizing that you're like i wonder if the rest of that scene sucked or like why are we cutting to some music part now when i wanted to see what what was going to happen and you're like well just go to music if it's not. Do you think that's why, well. like, some movies that are obviously bad movies tend to be cut faster and have lots of like soundtrack montage sequences? So much. Is oh, it yeah. just to cover up the yeah. lack of content? Make up for a cohesiveness, I think. It's so yeah, like, yeah. And then well, the, we can get to the next scene if we just play a little song here. So let's just get to the next scene. Um, and then, like, and the audiences off. are trained to like expect it, so like they just go along with it. But you know, you want to at least yeah. be a little more. I don't know, have more control over it, and hopefully that you made your scenes flow on already, and then the music is, you know... Yeah, yeah. But does the uh, does the opposite hold true then, where, like, um, you know it's, like, an awesome scene if you can... or movie or whatever, if you can pull it off with no music whatsoever? Like, if you don't need any... Yeah. Anything to carry it, or does that not hold true? I mean, it's not a binary, because, I mean, music can add. It's not only a, yeah. a band-aid or a, a cover-up, but um, I don't know if I'd, I'd be comfortable saying it's automatically better if you can play it without music, yeah. but, because, I mean, what would, like, Pulp Fiction be without a soundtrack or a Rushmore? Like, yeah. that is 
part of the film. Yeah, yeah you do, can't I'd, separate it. I do always take notice when there's scenes where I would expect there to be music and there isn't. Like, that to me says something is like, I, I notice, like, oh, as the filmmakers, they decided no music here, let it just be this raw, like, just actors doing what they do. And, like, you know, it, if it's this big, it's, it gets more dramatic if it's like some scene where you would expect music, if it's crazy violent or like super romantic or something, but then there's no music, you're like, whoa, that's just like super real right now. And you're like, <laughs> You have a different reaction to it, and I always notice. I'm like, "Whoa, no music! We're just we're just here with it, in in it with them." And it's but there's definitely like a difference between like the masterful use of that for like the contrast of like, "Whoa, stuff exactly. just got quiet, and yeah. we are present with these people now," right. versus the "This is really weird." <laughs> right? Why didn't they put music like <laughs> like just bad choices versus someone knowing how to do so it well hard. Right? Yeah. yeah and it's just yeah. trial and error and you never know if it works or it works for some people doesn't work for other people and it's like yeah. i don't know can't please everybody but you at least want to know that you put thought into it and it wasn't just like you know again band-aid approach yeah. you know right. yeah. but uh I mean, I think even some of this principle of like figuring out what you can take away or add to to make something better is that applies just to songwriting anyway. Of like, you know, sometimes when I'm writing or recording a song, and maybe this is similar for either of you, um, you're, you're adding and you're trying to layer things, and you're you're sort of building this interesting building of a song, and then you sort of like in the mixing or some kind of editing process figure out like, do I really need all this stuff? Maybe it's better and more immediate if i strip it down and finding that that process yeah from my point of view i think as i've uh made a few this is my third album or i made two full lengths and an ep um i think one big thing i've learned is that um uh all the details really do matter in my perspective and all the choices that you make matter a lot and um putting a lot of thought into those beforehand um can really make a big difference um like we i spent a long time just thinking about what i thought you know uh, for a gothic folk tale what instrumentation i thought would work and like what what was important and I learned to play the tenor banjo, and because they use that a lot in you know vaudevillian stuff, um, which I thought would work. Um, and we got, uh, I went out and we went to a flea market and got an old pump organ from you know the early 1900s that uh, that we used. And so I think thinking about what you want to do and your concept, and then all, all the little choices you make too, um, with arrangements and all that kind of stuff, really all that stuff adds up and you know that's what i think gives people um a wow factor or a lack of a wow factor (laughs) is like all this like you you spend a long time with all these details and thinking them through and and combining them and then when you present it it seems like it's you know something that is hopefully well thought out and complex and and uh that's what i i would want to see from somebody Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I think that's one of probably one of the satisfying aspects of doing this kind of long-form collaboration where you're building something together that it's not just whipping something together and playing it at a bar and just sort of repeating that forever the entire year, but it's like, no, let's, let's have a few shows when the season comes around to actually display this, but then we kind of go into a, a production mode of planning and creating Totally. I, I love that. Um, I love like being able to spend a lot of time developing a concept and um, make it really good, right? And then you present it in um, a way that, you know, you instead of playing a lot of smaller shows, maybe you play just a handful of bigger shows. And then, and then you can go back into your basement and uh, start <laughs> writing again and start the whole process over. But. Uh, I was curious to just to go back maybe to uh, as you were growing up, what kind of influences you had. Like, how did you end up steering towards the folk path and you know acoustic guitar, banjos? Like, what were influences for you? Yeah, um, 
Well, my uh, I guess early, early on, um, my dad had a lot of records um, that, that I listened to, and a lot of it was country music and um, some blues and uh, uh, songwriter stuff. And I, I think... Um, I was introduced to that, and I just, I, I feel like I already had kind of a palette developed innately. I don't know how else to describe it, but I, I feel like I would always have liked this stuff. But um, I found it, um, I guess, through different people over the years um, and, and different forms of music. But um, uh, I always liked um, acoustic instruments. Um, I like, you know, electric instruments and as well, but... Um, I guess uh, I felt like what I would uh, uh, what I would want to present as my representation of myself would be um, acoustic instrumentation, and um, so I gravitated gravitated toward that. Um, and uh, um, yeah, I don't I don't know I don't know if there's one one answer or one thing, but I think it's just over the years exploring different forms of music, and the one that uh, I, I felt like best. Uh, represented what I was shooting for were um, uh, like acoustic guitar and um, and banjo and um, I'm also uh, like very recently um, very interested in like um, really old music too like music that's not of the even of our many generations like yeah I guess early you know, 1920s uh, music and kind of delving back into some of that and actually the, the roots of American music, uh, the roots of um, jazz and blues, um, and those are American creations, which I think is really something we should be proud of. And, um, yeah. It's it's those two things and the hot dog, I think. Right? And I don't even know if we can really claim the hot dog because of the history of... Right. Uh, would we want to claim the hot dog? Can we claim the corn dog, though? Corn dog, I would claim. I guess, yeah. you know, ice claim it. Claim. <laughs> no, that's cool, and I think that's part of every maturing process for a musician is um, finding, not, not just looking back to what is before you because that's inevitable you're you're influenced by everything that came before you but finding your own lens for exploring the the vast amount of stuff that came before and and what's what's worth reviving or uh you know somehow adapting and changing and morphing for into something new yeah that's like a i think a part of like what i'm i feel like i'm a little bit more uh clear about what it is that I do and want to do um, going forward after this glass collaboration but that is definitely a big part of it I think as an artist is finding your voice finding your vision who you are and what you want to represent Um, it's definitely a challenge because it's just like um, we were talking about before you know um, with the songwriting process there's so many choices out there and there's so many different styles of music um that uh, it may take a while, I think, for some people. Some people get it maybe right away, and they know, and they nail it. But for mm-hmm. me, it like took a little while to find um, my place. I think there's also sort of a... Not every artist reaches sort of a balance of what I like to describe as, like, sort of hating your own stuff. Like, it's not that you don't like your own stuff. Like, obviously, you like it because you do it. But, like... You aren't just immediately unbelievably giddy and happy with everything you do. There's like a critical part too, but um, it can't be debilitating. So like some artists are happy with everything they do, and so they never really advance or sort of <laughs> find a, a critical eye to sort of evolve. But then there's there's people that are so self-deprecating and down on their stuff that they sort of never want to complete anything. Right. So how do you find that middle ground of like? proud and functional but also self-aware enough yeah um i uh i tried it's hard to do that's a really hard thing to do <laughs> with your own work right like to to not take stuff personally um but i i do try to be objective um and i i try and listen to other people i've i've had um like with this last group, they're all really talented uh, musicians, and I respect um, their opinions and uh, quite a bit. And so, and I've learned a lot from other people 
you know, down the way. So I, I just try and listen to other people and try to be somewhat objective about it. And, um, typically I'm, I'm kind of how I process things is like, I'll, (laughs) I'll make an album and listen to it a lot as you have to do, you know, as you're going through that process and making those decisions. And then, um, I will put it away and I won't ever listen to it again. And, um, uh, with this last project, um, I think I feel really, I feel the best about this one because, you know, I can put it on after I've made it now and I can be like, oh, I really like this. <laughs> I like this. And it's, I'm not, it's not because I made it, but it's just something that I feel like was well done. And so that feels good, you know, to, to be happy, I guess, with the, my own work that I created, satisfied with something I, mm-hmm. I made. Can you give us any, uh, kind of peek behind the curtain like as far as your own personal writing process like do you write a lot of demos do you like jamming with people like what's just your general approach if you have a song you want to write yeah um it is pretty much the same and has been for a long time i um i will always write um the music first without any sort of like idea of a concept for a song in in mind um, and so the melodies always come first, and that's um, and the melodies are are, um, are derived from you know the the chords that I write, and so those always come. And like you know what I will be singing in the melody, it, it's already established. And then um, uh, I will go back and um, with this last project, like I was saying, it was great because you know I knew um, what. Uh, the concept was and I, I knew what to write to and so um, what I tried to do uh, was um, I knew um, we had kind of a story line developed and it was uh, kind of um, very broad but I knew some of the basic concepts we wanted to convey and so um, I knew uh, what I wanted to do was match the music to to those um, and so I picked um you know, songs that I thought had good the the personalities of those songs would match with the concept we were we were going for, um, and so I used that. And then you know you can develop lyrics around that concept, and that's that was my process. Do you tend to do a lot of like when you make demos at home or wherever you work? Um, does that tend to stay simple, like just straight up acoustic recordings, or do you tend to like build up more elaborate yeah. things? No, like for me, it's like. Um, oh, where's my phone? Get it real quick. Like, you know, and I just record it because the ideas for me come out of nowhere. And then, um, I will forget them as fast as I came up with them if I don't get it. And so Mm -hmm. I I just record it on my phone and then I can go back and listen to it. And, um, and now I, I take a lot more time now to, um, develop a song. And like we were talking about before, you know, like making choices about, chord changes and um, the mood you want to present with different um, uh, choices you make with that. Um, I spend more time doing that now, I think, than I did early on. Um, it was a little more of a just ship it, let's keep moving along before? Or, or I just didn't, I didn't really think about it, I think. I didn't think like, well, um, w- you know, I've been using a lot of minor chords here. Would it be cool to like it would enhance the complexity of the song if I tried to play a, ma- a major chord or, um, you know, I don't know. That's, uh, mm-hmm. uh, or, but I just think about those things now and I experiment a little bit more um, because I think, like like I said, in my experience, all those little choices, you know, they, they do matter um, and, they, and they affect, um, you know, what you present in the end. Very cool. So, if you were to recommend early American artists, who, who's the top of the list or the top? Oh, oh man, that's hard. Like early Amer- like the stuff I'm kind of interested in now. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I'm like really interested in a couple. Like, um, like uh, basically, I, I think the bio, uh, my bio, kind of. Um, I wrote it a long time ago, but. It seems to be holding true. Like the longer I have it, I'm just interested in folk music and and um, 
And I think like early early jazz, the beginnings of jazz, and um, the beginnings of uh, um, I guess traditional kind of folk music. Um, I really like what I'm interested in now, and uh, so uh, people like um, uh, Louis Armstrong's early stuff, early early stuff when he's getting going, and some of the the uh, Dixieland early Dixieland jazz bands. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm interested in and then also they seem like you know they're kind of opposite ends of the spectrum and how could you be uh, interested in those and make music in these two different genres but also um, Jean Ritchie is she she's an early um, uh, folk artist I don't know if you guys are familiar with her but I'm, I'm woefully uninformed so it's like yeah. it's like Woody Guthrie and then not a lot else in my <laughs> mind for, and even he's later but well yeah I guess she's um, I, I guess her style is I think she's she may not be as early but her style is one that's um, uh, I think early kind of Appalachian mm-hmm. and I, I think that something that's really awesome are the uh, uh, that that form and that region of music um, you know where they they sing uh, acapella tunes that are in that old Appalachian kind of time, the high shape note music and <laughs> yeah that that stuff's really cool and then the really early blues which was going on at the same time as jazz was developing um, and they, it's really cool if you look back because those two art forms were influencing each other especially you know blues into jazz and um, a lot of um, blues tunes that were used uh, as jazz songs and kind of developed into Dixieland jazz songs. But early um, uh, early blues guys, uh, Mississippi John Hurt is one of my favorites. I've heard the name. Yeah. He, so it's a lot of that is um, you'll hear a style, a style called uh, um, uh, Piedmont blues, and it's basically just a, a finger-style picking on the guitar where... Um, the left hand, uh, or your uh, your thumb acts as the left hand on, say, a piano, which is you know doing kind of a more rhythmic um, mm-hmm. uh, piece, and then your right hand uh, on the piano plays the melody, and that would be um, you know played on the the uh, first couple strings of the cu- guitar, typically with like your middle f- finger and your index finger, but. Um, um, so anyway, I'm le- I'm trying to learn some of those styles. Let's track down an example and link to it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mississippi John Hurt is one of my favorites. Um, his style and uh, just uh, the way he sings, he seems like a guy you just you know a really likable guy and a really soft uh, demeanor. But yeah, he's he's really cool and yeah. Jean Ritchie, the way she sings in the old uh, Appalachian style is, and her voice is is really beautiful. I'd recommend her as well. Sweet. Is there anyone you would see as sort of carrying the torch in doing things like you're doing? Um, is there any contemporaries that are sort of like um, up to the stuff or that you would call out? Or Oh, yeah. You guys, um, if you haven't listened, because um, I think what I, I I'm kind of... Um, ADD with my musical styles like I'll I'll write a song in you know that I'm like oh cool this would be a really cool um, or I'm influenced by Dixieland and then I'll try and write a song in that vein and it may not come across you know as that but there may be some of the influences but I think another band who's really awesome from Portland um, is Black Prairie I don't know if you've heard of them, but Mm-mm. it's like some of the the members of uh, the Decemberists. Oh, and um, yeah, yeah, and so I think they do. They're all really wonderful musicians and way better than me. But uh, <laughs> but they're they're able to kind of take um, a lot of different styles, I think, and they also are kind of an acoustic band. They're also you know they take all these different styles and can you know. Um, uh, incorporate them and update them and make them new and unique and um, I think always doing something new and not just recreating you know and mm-hmm. I think they do that really well do you see any uh, hmm, trying to think how to formulate what I was thinking a second ago um um, any interplay with sort of the film, or maybe not film specifically, but 
Um, maybe Gothic Folktale was exactly some of this, even if it was a little more vaudevillian, I think you described it, mm-hmm. um, of that the thread of not just folk music, but intertwined with film or other art forms, or is there anything that comes to mind or you'd be interested in? Uh, yeah, I think that's what I'm trying to explore. Is um, It's such an interesting question, and uh, with the way music is today in the industry, you know, I think it's and it's changing really fast, but there are a lot of possibilities. So it's kind of yeah, that's a great question. That's well, something I'm trying to like when I think of like yeah. traditional blues, jazz, or like really older stuff. Mm-hmm. And though I'm not speaking from expertise, um, like when I think of like film mixed with that, it's almost always something old timey or something intentionally like we found this footage from the beginnings of when there were cameras and mm-hmm. here's a, here's a blues performer and it's really grainy and it's like San Francisco when they still had you know the, the trolley down the you know right. crazy street and it's like what what does it look like to modernize folk music and not just do something I don't know. That's like retro or nostalgia driven. Yeah, it's yeah. not nostalgia yeah. driven. Yeah, I think. Um, or is that sort of inherent in? Well, some I, don't, of them? I don't think it has to be. I think one thing that was lucky for me is that um, I uh, uh, I spent before I learned any of these kind of more traditional ways of playing um, or techniques. I just experimented on my own. And kind of made up my own style, or tried to, uh, searching for that, you know. And then um, once I had already done that, I kind of went back and then learned some of these things. So I feel like I have uh, I have a pretty strong uh, voice uh, artistically that I don't know if I could change. Like I, don't, you know, so like if I write something in um, in an old style, um, it may not come across. Um, as that style to some people, or they may not recognize it, but um, but it it, w- it came from that. So I think that would be a, a cool way to do that, where you're kind of you're making something new. Um, you're taking like this old style, um, but you're you know you're advancing it with a new a new vision. And I think um, a lot of I mean I think a lot of artists that's like hopefully that's their goal. You know, is always to like be. Um, advancing the art form, right? Yeah, it's certainly not a challenge uh, localized only to folk or blues or jazz. Like, we, just our last guest, uh, Matt Duncan, he does a lot of electronic music, and a lot of people just be like, that sounds like the 80s. You're too young to be from the 80s. And there's like this implied critique of like, you're not allowed to play in this space because that's relegated to that decade, and you're not allowed to like yeah. sort of interact and it's like that seems like a weird restriction yeah yeah <laughs> yeah we're starting a new americana it's corporate but still. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> that's like that's what we have to say with our generation like, well corporations took over the world and then we tried to stay original you know right uh i think that's part of the the challenge like um is um but you know, part of the opportunities of a musician these days is, you know, and it goes back to all these things we're talking about. But um, you know, how do you survive? You know, how do you make this financially um, mm-hmm. viable um, and still have some integrity as an artist and be able to do what you want to do? And uh, and I think there are lots of opportunities now because the industry is changing and you don't have to have a record deal to be successful. Um, uh, and you can make your own way, you know, and I think the the ways that you can go about doing that, I think, are still not defined. And I think there are ways that, um, you know, you, because it's kind of a new era, we can we can explore different ways to, um, you know, be an artist. And you don't have to be the Rolling Stones and play, you know, giant stadiums and stuff anymore. You can, there are different ways to make it and... Um, and feel satisfied, you know, I think as an artist. Yeah. yeah. I think on that note, just this, all this discussion of interesting live performances or collaborations is right in that vein of um, the traditional bar crowd. You go to a, a bar that's already set up a certain way and has a certain quality of bad or good speakers. 
and a certain audience that tends to go there and you go there and you play and you try to drag your, you know, 20 of your friends and try to make it a good showing. And sort of that's the, the paradigm of the 20th century rock band mm-hmm. and sort of trying to innovate and set, create a new space for different kinds of performance. Right. Yeah. I think that that's, that's one thing I'm really interested in, in of late. Um, since, uh, um, we've performed for, uh, you know, during the ballet, that experience was really wonderful because, um, it's a very non-traditional music space where you're playing for a large number of people who are seated and, um, you know, their expectation is for them to see a ballet performance. Right. And so like mm-hmm. the, uh, their, going into it like the etiquette is totally different right you know and it's it's and it's what i would what i find is it's like what i would like you know where people are quiet they're listening and it's um they're there to like experience um something as opposed to um being distracted and having different you know noises going on you mean you don't prefer a bunch of people <laughs> drinking and talking to each other really loudly <laughs> yeah. while you try to play well i think like <laughs> and then just... clapping even though they weren't listening right. after the song is that song over <laughs> um i think uh uh i don't know yeah and it depends you know like if you're a rock band then you know and you're rowdy and you're loud and you you want your crowd to be rowdy and loud and enthusiastic then maybe it makes sense you know but for i think what i'm doing um and what i'm writing and what was so fulfilling about um the collaboration too was that uh you know i was able to to play for an audience like that and uh and yeah it's got me to thinking yes i would that's the kind of situations and um environments that i would like to play in going forward and Mm -hmm. so i have tended to uh be more hesitant to play um you know bar gigs um i do think you know uh you have to kind of be realistic about the way the industry still works and that you know if there are opportunities in there you i think it makes sense to do them but you know i I think i just want to try to uh vary what i'm doing and play you know have some shows where Maybe I'm playing to 20 people in somebody's living room, or, um, but you know those shows end up being way more rewarding than playing to a mm-hmm. packed house where you know no one's listening. So, yeah, I wonder that just sort of that creation of that more direct connection or presence with an audience, and and not just sort of the distracted party rowdiness, which can be a different kind of, like you said. You know, depending on your goals and style and what's fulfilling, maybe that's what you want. But um, I could see a couple different avenues of, you know, creating those alternative performance spaces where people sort of have a different relationship to the performer and there is a quieter sort of listening experience. Or I also see sort of um, the Internet providing a lot of opportunities to create um, time shifted, but still more intimate performances. And, um, I've seen video blogs of different artists that just do interesting performances in strange spaces and yeah, it's totally live, but something I would love to do as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> and, uh, um, I've, I just don't have, uh, the equipment quite yet to do that, but, uh, but I, I've tried like even just on a, a phone, um, to uh, just go to really beautiful or unique spaces and perform for the camera, you know, um, and uh, yeah, I think that would, that yeah. would be wonderful, and I I hope people do that. And I think part of being new is sort of that search for differentiators or or something special, and um, you know, instead of everything being, can we reproduce this studio recording that gets played exactly the same way? And every time the commercial runs and every time whatever happens um, versus like these little one-off things that happen once and they're captured, but Mm -hmm. um, then you move on and do something else. And Mm -hmm. it seems like that's appetizing for artists in an age of mass production and mass copying and distribution. Yeah. Something that's, that's really unique and, uh, 
yeah, like you're creating a moment that you capture, you know, and I think that's, that's great. Cool. Justin, you got to... No, I'm just (laughs) reminded of, uh, like the last couple tours David Bazan did, you know, from page of the line he just lines up a bunch of people's living rooms you know kind of like the couch surfing tour where yeah. he's just gonna go to a house and they're gonna only have so many tickets and then that's it people yeah. volunteer like crazy for it you know of course gas gets paid but there's no middleman soaking up 70 percent of the the yeah. revenue yeah yeah and i think that's um that's huge and that's where i want to go and i think that's uh, happening and i think it's happening more frequently is um uh the artist uh benefit from that if it's that style you know if you're a songwriter which i think would work really well for me but yeah you're right so there's no middleman right uh taking money you know for your performance and the people that are there are um uh you know, I think we were talking about creating an experience before. It's really unique and meaningful, and and um, I think if you're sitting in someone's list, uh, living room or you're you know sitting outside in their backyard, um, and there's a limited number of people there, um, you do create kind of this experience, and you can feel it. You know, it gets really quiet, and it's it, as a musician, it's a little intimidating performing those, but I I, I love it. I mean, I I love using that. Um, and I think um, uh, you can use that that kind of intensity and silence in a performance to enhance it. And all it does is it it makes everyone have this experience, mm-hmm. which is something you wouldn't have in another thing. It's reminded me, I think, a, a, a movie that's used that kind of template really well was, did you see the, the recent Inside Lewin Davis, the Coen I, Brothers? I film? have not, but I wanted um, to. I love the Coen Brothers. So yeah. without spoiling anything, um, there's a moment where he finally gets to a promoter and he's ready to sort of give his, you know, this is why you should, you know, sponsor me and produce 20 albums out of me mm-hmm. and he gives this performance and it's just like the the most quiet empty dark room all the lights are off and they just kind of have some chairs pulled together mm-hmm. in this room and he, he plays this song and in my opinion he plays it so well like it's just enraptured and there's nothing else between you and the song in this scene it's just so raw and you're right there and then they leave you hanging right after he finishes and I won't say what happens after that because you just need to see the movie but it's just that scene is really memorable to me yeah yeah and I I think um, I think it's important to yeah I mean I don't know what his decision was but uh, I think it's important to uh, always kind of understand what you know why you started doing this in the first place and you know what your motivations are and everyone has different goals i'm sure but um for me like i I always want you know um making music and making art and being inspired to be the number one priority you know i i hope i don't ever lose that and um i want to want to keep that the focus Mm -hmm. very good yeah it looks like we're coming up on an hour here so uh perfect just want to congratulate and thank Jesse for being here. Congratulate for for releasing your album, not for uh, being on a podcast. <laughs> Congratulations! <laughs> um, definitely check out Jesse's music. We'll have links in the show notes. Um, um, is there anywhere else people can find you online? Just jessemanley.com? Yeah, um, the best places are just my website, and um, you can hear snippets of the music there. And um, it's around. It's a. Uh, it's on iTunes and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. So, um, and uh, you're playing soon in a early June, according to your website. Is that still oh, happening? Yeah. yeah, we're doing a. Uh, um, there's a, a station here who uh, puts on a show um, highlighting local musician called Sounds on 29th, and uh, we're going to play for that, and then. Um, I'm trying to remember. Um, is that the I, name of the radio station too, where it'll air? Or no, it's it... it's the show. Oh, the okay. The show, um, and uh, I'm sorry, I don't know the. It's a. I believe it's a PBS 
um, okay. station. I'm not well, sure we can track one. it down and yeah. try to find a link <laughs> to if people want to try to catch it. And that's happening uh, June 7th? That's when we're recording it. Oh, okay. and they have a small audience that they let um, inside to to be a part of the show. Oh, nice. So you're so, not just playing to a microphone? Or a camera, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so a few folks can come out if you want to, and if not, it'll be on the telly. But um, we're going to be lining up some more shows. Um, but, yeah, I, I think I'm just... Right now, I don't have a whole lot on the docket, but it's yeah, sort of some stuff yeah. brewing that yes. can't be revealed yet. Oh yeah, that too. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, thank you very much, Jesse, for joining us. And uh, um, Justin, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, I'm pseudo Justin uh, Gmail. Uh, well, I guess that's my email. <laughs> email me Twitter and Facebook pseudo Justin dot com. Wow. And you can find me at uh, M. Edwards Music on Twitter or pseudomichael.com. And uh, for the show notes and links uh, to this, just check uh, pseudobookpodcast.com and uh, check out Jesse's music and stay tuned for more good stuff in the future. Great. All right. Thank you guys for having me. Yep. Thank you, Jesse. Our pleasure. I know by heart. I speak them all by heart every day. Just 